welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Damien, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm awesome, Yuri. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, man. Of course. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. So in in doing research on on what you have worked on, you are a really busy guy, and your expertise covers a huge range of, of topics and areas. Nowadays, when you meet someone at a party and they ask you that question of, what do you do? How do you answer that these days? It's a, it's a good question. I think the, f- the funny thing is the first thing you said was that you're a really busy guy. So when somebody asks me that, I'll say, I'm just a really busy guy. Um, so it, <laughs> so much going on. But when, when it comes down to it, I was reading Damon John's book, The Power of Broke, yesterday. And, and he, one of the things about brands and identifying ourselves is to be able to say, here's what I am or what I'm all about in two to five words. And who I am and what I work on and my focus is fin- financial transformation, period. Two words. That's okay. that's what I'm all about. Oh, great. So if someone actually meets you, minus the busy guy part, you just say financial transformation? Yeah, financial transformation. It's it's what I've been doing and working on and teaching and growing businesses around for literally the last 20 years. So it, it definitely is is a great description of, of what I'm all about and how I show up in the world. Yeah. So does that then – does that like leave uh, an opening or does it lead to additional questions that usually happen or do people go, okay, great, finance guy, I'm going to go to the bar and get another drink? Well, I think what people usually will do is say, okay, what does that mean? That's very open. And, and what it means is that I spend my time teaching people how to, how to transform their financial life. And usually it's not because they necessarily want more money, even though we all will say we want more money. Mm-hmm. People want more money because they want the options it creates. And so typically people are looking for something in their lives to change or they want an opening. And the opening requires money because money is, is such a powerful piece that gives us choices. So they'll say, cool, what does that mean? And we dig into it and they go, cool, you know what? I, I really want to do this thing. Like I've got this idea for being an artist or something in their life, or I hate my job and I want to be, I want to be in this other space and I'm kind of reinventing myself. And and I go, all right, great. Well, that's what I, I do. In fact, I wrote a book called Reinvented Life about five years ago that was all about reinventing because I blew up my life and and had to start over and, and really think through the process of doing it and documented it. And I mean, and we're talking a major redo, like losing a $20 million portfolio, losing my friends, my girlfriend, my dog, my like, and starting over. So, I mean, I've gone through this process. It's kind of intimate and personal and painful for me to think about. Yeah. Wow. And you sound like a country song describing that. <laughs> no doubt. Right. <laughs> right. Like seriously, like you lost your dog. I mean, did you have a pickup truck that you also lost in that process? You know, I, I, I did. My, my oh. ego bought a Ferrari, so I, unfortunately I was somewhere wow. where the pickup truck was. Yeah, it was uh, – it, that, that went away. All of that stuff went away. Oh, sure, sure, sure. All right, well, okay. So not not, not entirely a country song, but um, you know, if country songs involve, involve Ferraris, you are right along there. Uh, I, I was an urban, really an urban cowboy. There it is. One of those. Urban cowboy. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. Okay. So I'm. So then, you know, with your early early experiences, because you have again in googling you, you there's there's a lot of companies and a lot of industries that you have had your hands in. What what was the first company you started, and why did you start that particular company? The the very first one that I can even remember, and I think this was the first one, was back in when I was 11, and that was it was a a company I started because I had a problem. The problem was I wanted to play video games. I think this is actually an epidemic now with with 20 and 30 year old males where they spend like 50 percent of their free time playing video games. Fortunately, I got that out of my system when I was when I was 11, 12 years old. But at the time. I, I wanted to play games, and my parents kept saying, we don't have money. We, we, how are we supposed to pay for things? The answer is no, and I said, that's not good enough. And and so I just rejected what society, in, in that case, my parents were telling me, and I said, well, there's got to be another way. So I figured out how to go out and buy chunks of games from people that were like used games, buying packages, and then I would just play them and sell them off one at a time, and I accidentally started a business where I was in the wholesale retail world of video games where I got to play with my product and then get rid of it. And I ended up at the end of it with a bunch of, of, of cash from the profits. So I was just solving my own problem <laughs> and it kind of worked itself out into a business, which is really a key lesson that if we, if we can think about the problem we're solving and maybe this is somebody's struggling with something, maybe you know, I, whatever it is, you're solving their problem and maybe you're just bringing a little bit of, of beauty to their life because you're going to, you're going to be an artist and you're going to provide something that they can really smile about. But you're solving a problem. If we think about that, that's the business we should be in, the problem we solve that we love solving. Mm-hmm. That's that's great. And I I, <laughs> I love the story so much of you being an 11-year-old and you just wanted to play video games and just figure it out. Because, you know, there's a lot of times where a lot of people, regardless of age, will just go, well, I have this problem. Like, well, okay, well, there's not – I can't think of the answer right now, so I'm just going to stop and, and not do anything about it. Um, but you actually went out there and, and solved that problem and in the process – you know, monetize it, which is, uh, which is great. I kind of wish that I would have uh, had that ingenuity at 11. Um, although I wasn't as, I have always been terrible at video games and, uh, I, I did play a little bit of, of them when I was a kid, but I think it was my own just lack of skill and my lack of determination to get good at them. That was like, okay, I'm done with video games because I'm just terrible at them. So I'll move on to something else. Well, I, you know, I, that, honest, honestly, I can't even figure out the controllers anymore. So this is how much this, this, these, the world has changed. I don't know what to do with it. I look at it and I go, I don't know how to start. So no, you, you just play. I'll, I'll watch. I'm, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you had that first experience as an 11 year old. What was? Because I know then you've got into real estate and a few other things. What was that evolution from? You know, that that seed at, as an 11 year old to your next uh, adventure. Well, it was I started going down this path where I was doing what everybody was telling me I should do. And I ended up shooting all over myself where I was going to college. And I did that four times. I I got thrown out ish one time for starting a business in my dorm room. And and I was doing these normal things because my parents and society said that's a safe plan. That's the, the route you should go. And it really wasn't tapping into my genius. I was I was good at math, but it wasn't really where my my passion, my soul was and my, my heart wasn't really into it. And and I finally went, this is not what I should be doing. And and so I left there and started doing different things, opened up an insurance agency. Uh, I was you know, selling insurance. I, I That didn't really seem like the right place because it was still part of a system mm-hmm. that was very structured. And it didn't allow my, my artist to come out. I, I, I really wanted to paint. I mean, I, I can't paint, but I wanted to paint in my own way. And I wanted to do something that allowed me to tap into something deeper. 
And so that's that's where real estate came in because it was kind of like my my canvas where I could go out and I had this wide open space where I could create anything I wanted to and it was only limited by my own imagination. And and I went a little bit crazy with it. I had a good time, a little bit too much of a good time. But it it uh you know, this is what happens when your ego gets going and you make a lot of money in your twenties, you you lose your mind and and it's a great experience. You realize, okay, I don't, I don't need to do that again. But it was, it was powerful because of all the learning that happens. And this is the key. We're oftentimes afraid of, of doing something because we don't want to make a mistake. And yet that's where all the growth happens. And that's where you get to leverage from the experience and then move to the next thing. And if you're afraid of making the mistake, you're going to be static. And if you're static, you're basically the walking dead. So why tiptoe safely to death's door just to be a zombie? I mean, that's just, that's stupid. Oh yeah. That, that makes total sense. So I, 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 so I understand what, what happened with your, your real estate company and with that. So why did you decide to, to write and write a book about it and get into writing? The, when, when you go out in the, in the world and you, you play big and, and you have the world fall down on your head, you, you have a couple of options. You can sit there in the fetal position, sucking your thumb and boohooing about it, or you can get back up and do something. And the, the thing that I knew, is that I wanted to get up and go do something and I wanted to make sure I didn't do the same thing I just did. Like a lot of times people say I've got 20 years of experience in whatever I do. Mm-hmm. And the reality is they have one year of experience 20 times. They've done the same thing over and over again. And so I look at, I looked at my experience and I said, okay, I don't want the same experience the next 10 years. I want a different one. So I've got to really, really own this thing. And the way I know that you can own things is to write them and share that because now it's, it's out in the world. You've let it go and everybody can look at it and it's, it's clean. It's right in front of everyone. So that's, that's why I wrote Reinvented Life because I wanted to make sure I really sucked the lessons out of what happened and that I really understood what I was using as a foundation for the next thing. And so that's why I wrote the book. And if if other people are getting ready to to go into something like I did, I was like we were talking about earlier on the before the show, I wanted to give somebody something that I wish I had had before I started. Mm-hmm. So I wrote this book as kind of a precursor for somebody maybe stepping out there and and going for it. It's it's kind of the stuff that I didn't know. I know now. I wish I knew then. <laughs> oh sure. So putting out your you know your failures in the written word. And then like publishing that has got to be in a little bit, you know, kind of unnerving. How do you either with that project or other projects in your life, since you've done so much, how do you approach things that make you fearful or are nervous? And how do you push past that feeling? Well, the, the question I, I come up with whenever there's this fear, I just I start asking myself, what is true? And that's the most powerful question to go conscious in a matter of seconds. It's the question I had to ask after everything melted down and, and before I wrote the book and figuring out what I was going to do with myself and really who I was, I had to ask that question, what is true? And when I when I ask the the question now, if I start feeling afraid, I just start asking, okay, what is true? What's What am I really afraid of? And then I, I play this game. It's called the what's next thing. And basically that means if I do this thing, if I make this decision now, if if I ask this girl out on a date, what happens next? Is she going to punch me in the face? Probably not. She might say no. She might ignore me. You know, like what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Or if I make an investment, what's okay? What could happen? And then if that worst case scenario that happens, then what what would I do after that? And I keep going down this road. And what I realize is there's at the very end of that road, I am still alive. I'm not dead. People might laugh at me. And so if the worst thing in life is that somebody laughs at you, perhaps, or they think you're an idiot, but you haven't you haven't been sitting still, that you're actually still growing and you're living, then I think that that's a pretty good success story. Yeah, that's a that's a great success story. How long? 
so this is again i think this philosophy that that you have is absolutely amazing how long has it evolved or taken you to kind of get this part kind of uh, solidified like did you also think like this early on or is it has evolved over time well, I, th- th- there's a constant evolution when you're out there, and I, I do a lot of reading and writing. I do a lot of journaling, so I'm constantly looking back and thinking about what I just learned. So there's there's no point where you're just done. And uh, one of the things that I remember having this philosophy around after I, I read a book and, and heard this idea from my childhood where we couldn't afford things, and then I asked a different question, and the question was, okay, instead of saying I can't afford it, I'm going to ask how can I afford it? Well, Part of the progression, this was about 15 years ago, I started asking that question. The new question is, should I afford this? Should I do this in addition to how can I? Because my creative mind can create any opportunity, any way of doing something. If I wanted to have a fleet of Ferraris right now, I could create that. I, I have no no doubt in my mind I could do it. The question now is, should I do it? And and so there's this evolution. If we keep asking great questions, we're going to continue to have better and better answers, and our life's going to expand. The The truth is our life is a reflection of the the quality of questions that we ask. And so I'm always asking questions and I'm asking the question, what's a better question? So this is kind of <laughs> what's always going on. And, and I don't think we're ever done unless we decide we're done. And if we're done, we might as well just check out. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. So the, a lot of the things that you you're mentioning about and that you write about is, is the, the idea of abundance and how do you, how do you, well, you kind of mentioned already kind of, how do you approach that into your life? But how do you also encourage other people to to shift over into into that type of mindset where they don't feel um, like bogged down by constant limitations. First thing that we have to really think about is is what what the influence is around us. Uh, when when I think about the abundance mindset versus the scarcity mindset, I, people can probably relate to this. Where you think about the people that you grew up with, in most cases, they weren't necessarily really abundant minded. There was a lot of scarcity conversation. There were a lot of rules that were imposed on us, whether it was parents or friends or whatever. And we have those same things typically with other people that are around us because of their limitations. And we start to run into those those boundaries. And and so the, the most important thing I think for people to to be conscious of is is the influences. Who are they listening to? Right now, y- y'all are listening to to Yuri and I chat, and this is influencing you. And and maybe it's going to rewire you a little bit, a little neuroplasticity of your brain. And I mean, that's cool. And so the question is, how much of that conscious choice around the people that are influencing you, the environments that are influencing you, can you stay in? How much of you, how much of those influences are you going to be on autopilot with, where you're just going to be in what you've always been in, and you're going to continue having what you've always had? I think the more conscious you are about choosing those things and then moving away from the old and into what makes sense to support your current vision is is the key to to really choosing a life versus having a life by default. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's uh, that makes perfect sense. In your own career, so you you were doing finance, I'm sorry, not finance. You were doing real estate for a while. Wrote, a, wrote some books about it. What made you decide to then switch over to start talking about finance and and building up a, a financial company? There's this there's this mentality that we we think the money's going to go solve um, our problems. And when I was when I was out doing my real estate stuff, I was building up a real estate portfolio. I had twenty million dollars in houses, 150 houses, a lot of net worth, a lot of cash, and it wasn't really solving anything. I just had more, and so my goal was more. And there was a missing piece, and that was the emotional and psychological and spiritual uh, mastery. I had a pretty solid take and grasp on the financial piece, but the other stuff I was a mess on. 
And and I realized that after I blew that up, there was there was something more that needed to be taught. And it was it was about control. And so the company that I founded a year ago, Total Control Financial, isn't just about controlling the money. It's about controlling the psychology and the emotional pieces of us as we're we're growing and, and contributing and being out there. It's it is this control piece. And we have to make sure that we don't just miss the 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 other pieces that are so important the the emotional intelligence and the and the spiritual intelligence around uh, around creating so it, there was kind of this evolution that happened where I realized I wanted to teach that piece and if you're going to teach something you have to really understand it and when you start teaching you realize how quickly hey I really don't know a whole lot about this and so that was the the evolution of really diving deep into it and making sure that I could teach something that people could use and implement and take control of their lives. Mm-hmm. So in in the uh, field of finance, so I am I'm a, a classically trained uh, artist. I went through like multiple art schools. I know a lot of people who have a similar path, and never once do art schools ever talk about money or finance or even like the business side of it. The, honestly, the only financial advice I ever received was in grad school. The the head of of the program. Um, just he told me that you know don't worry about money side you're gonna hire an agent and then they will figure out things for you which of course is absolutely terrible advice because not only did i never get an agent because the economy fell apart when the, my art career started but also then you hear these stories about how you know some people maybe pick the wrong agents and they kind of take things um but even beyond that a lot of artists you know, in let's say like, a, you know, I've been dealing, ch- ch- chatting with a lot of actors recently and, um, you know, they're, they're not say thinking long-term financially. It's, it's, you know, what can I do now? And then don't worry, I'll get my big break. And then that will take care of everything in the future. So how do you speak to somebody who is just, you know, regardless of their age, um, they want to take control of their finances because the, the idea of waiting for, you know, the windfall in the future, they realize is not necessarily the best approach to that. So where do you suggest they start and think about their finances so they can start taking control of them? Well, there's a blessing and a curse around artists and this creative element, because if you use the old rules and you think like I have to wait for my break and and this the, the agent and those type of things, I think you're probably in a lot of trouble and you're in for a lot of pain. That's that's the downside. So if you throw that away and you start looking at what we're currently dealing with, we're dealing with an environment where people are becoming influencers and and they develop these tribes. And you, you look at this, this current Forbes list, I, I just looked at it, where these people that are on YouTube and Instagram and they have followings and they they have millions in income a year. And we're talking a lot of folks in their 20s. And it's because of the power of the Internet and being able to show up with your authentic voice that is different. What, what used to be the case was that if you followed the industrial model and you were like other people, you got a safe, secure job or whatever it was that made sense. Now, that doesn't make any sense at all. And if you're an artist, it's a disaster. So I, I think that we have to really start thinking about showing up and creating your brand. That's the first thing that I mentioned. Uh, when when you think about who you are, if you can narrow it down to two to five words and then you start showing up and you develop this following, th- th- we have seven billion people out there that at least half of them are connected to the internet. The other half are going to be connected in the next five to 10 years because of guys like Mark Zuckerberg and, and Elon and all these people that are creating this technology to bring the rest of the world into the conversation. So your, your job is to authentically show up and maybe that's on Instagram. Maybe it's on YouTube. It doesn't really make any difference. You just have to tap into it and get out there 
And the truth is you're going to be able to create the abundance because your genius is being tapped into and you're sharing it. And that's the key. You can't hold back. And you've got these mediums now that you can truly use and they're free. So you, know, you got to go do them. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely true. How do you see the financial world and finances like that kind of evolving? Like, um, are there you know, like, like apps and technology that uh, make things like this, like, you know, keeping track of finances and investing? Um, are those getting easier for people who, who don't feel like maybe they don't, you know, have a, a huge grasp on the financial aspect? Well, it's it. There are more. Here's the here's the thing. There's there's more and more tools. There's more and more things you can keep you can use to keep up and keep track. Whether it's Mint or whether it's the apps for your banks or your financial institutions or spreadsheets or whatever, you can get absolutely overwhelmed. And you just really have to keep this simple. And and this is where I really like the work that that my friend Robert Kiyosaki has worked on, and it's simplifying the idea for financial literacy to where. If you're if you're bringing in more than you're spending and you're creating an asset base that's that's paying you and this as an artist, this could be your digital uh, portfolio that people are are paying for things that you're sharing and, and whatever that is. If you're building that up, you're creating an asset that starts to create financial freedom. You don't have to complicate it more. I think what what Wall Street has done and what these institutions have done is that they're trying to. They're trying to convince us that we're too stupid around money and then we should just hand everything over and then hope and pray. Well, if you smoke a whole bunch of hopium and, and your plan is that you're going to be 60 and everything will work out because because the bank in New York has promised you that you're going to have a, a fat pension or a, or a fat 401k, you're basically screwing yourself. And and so I, I think you just have to let go of all this complexity and ask yourself, what assets am I building up? And maybe that's your brand. But that will continue to pay you so that you're not just part of an industrial cog system. That's that's no way to live at all, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. How do you so so with that, like, um, you know, like, uh, thinking beyond just the, the industrial side of it and, and trying to build up, I'm going to say like brand, but like the equity and, um, you know, in, in other types of, of asset classes, how do you approach that thinking with with people who who maybe are not as familiar with that idea? Well, I mean, really, I, I, I take the economics and, and the financial piece to a really simple place where I ask three questions. I ask, whatever you're thinking about, if we're talking about financing your thing, it, your thing, do you have a talent for your thing? And if you do, great. Do you have a passion for it? Awesome. And then the question is, is there a market for it? And and really, the only way to know if there's a market is to go out there and check. It's one of the big mistakes a lot of us make, and I've done this, where we get a bunch of money and we say, cool, I've got a bunch of money. I took out a loan or I, I have somebody that invested in my business. That's not the market. That's And what people need to find out is, is, is there really a market for your thing? Does anybody care? Is anybody going to buy your your creation, whatever that is? And if you can just focus on that, then you start to understand if there's a following, if there's a reason for you to be in business and I actually there's a great story about Gigi's cupcakes who Damon wrote about in in his book where she she spent 10 years Gigi spent 10 years trying to become a Nashville singer and that was her heart and her passion and finally it just it just was not happening and in a random phone call she got from her brother up in New York and he said there's this cupcake thing and she said well I I kind of know how to make cupcakes and I like baking. It's been my, my family's my blood. So I'm going to give this a shot. And so she goes out there and, and she she basically says, I'm going to be a cupcake maker. And she she goes out and people love her cupcakes because she was hustling and telling people about her cupcakes and sharing them. And they, they wanted more. Ultimately, she's got a thirty five million dollar a year business making cupcakes. And and so it was 
testing the market. She had the talent and the passion for it, and it wasn't even her first thing. So sometimes we have to be willing to adapt and migrate a little bit, but we have to ask those questions. Do we have a talent for this thing, whatever it is? And is there a passion? Because it's not always easy. It can take a long freaking time, and you've got to have passion to keep you going in the dark. Mm-hmm. And then does the market care? Those, those are the three things we should start with. Oh, sure. Are there particular books or blogs um, that you pay attention to? I know you've mentioned a couple of them already, but like particularly like if people would like to to um, learn more about financial matters and, and kind of what's happening with the um, you know with way the the market is going that uh, that you particularly pay attention to. Well, yeah, the, the the book that I, I love to refer back to that I've, I've read many many times uh, is is Mastery, and it's by a guy named. George Leonard. And I love it so much because my martial art background is kind of is very much in sync with with him. And at the same time, mastery doesn't just apply to martial arts. It applies to our lives. And there's this process, this particular piece in the book where he talks about plateauing. And and especially in the world of art or creative stuff, we can feel like we're plateauing, like nothing's happening for months or sometimes years. And and we have to be willing to understand that that's part of the mastery and that our lives are it's a it's a canvas of growth into mastery. And it never stops. And so if you can really embrace that idea, then you're, you're going to be willing to push forward when it doesn't feel like you're making any progress or growing. So I love I love studying that and going deeper into it. And and I and what I tend to do is follow opposing ideas. So I follow both ideas of abundance and and I follow things where we're talking about a lot of chaos and mayhem and and the, like the dark side of, of the future. I do that because I want to be able to get my mind around both sides. I don't want to be Pollyanna and I don't want to be just hiding in a closet. I mean, I, I want to make sure I'm seeing both sides. So I follow Peter Diamandis and I follow Robert Kiyosaki and I follow Jim Rickards. I follow people that are having conversations and challenging whatever BS the mainstream media is trying to throw at us. And I actually want to I want to listen to people that are asking hard questions and making me think. Um, so I, not to get sidetracked, but because you mentioned the martial arts side, um, what, so what got you involved in martial arts and what made you want to then start your own? The, so, so the, the start off with martial arts was probably seeing a Chuck Norris thing or, or a Steven Seagal <laughs> thing. You know, when I, as a kid, I thought I want to be a ninja. And, <laughs> and so that's what I did. I went out there and it, none, nothing fit when I was in, when I was growing up, I, I did karate and taekwondo and none of those really fit. And then one day I, I went to a, a martial arts studio in Arizona and I saw Aikido and I thought, this is me. This is, this is, this resonates. Like there's an energy around different arts. And, mm-hmm. and for me, that was such a powerful way to express myself. There was this blending flow and, and I was just, I was hooked, man. It took like five minutes and I was in and I walked up to the guy that was teaching and I said, Hey, do you do private classes? And, and cause I want to be a black belt. And he said, let's see if you last a month. And I, <laughs> I thought, Dang, man, that's really no, no credit here. And because that's what happens most, there's one in a hundred people that started a martial art that'll actually become a black belt. And one out of a hundred of those will become a second degree black belt. Mm-hmm. And it's just because people don't stick with things in most cases and martial arts, especially the one I was training in, it was, there was a blend and a flow, but there was also a lot of pain involved and a lot of bruising as, as you learn how to be connected with people, you learn pressure points and things. And so I just I stuck with it and I ended up becoming his first black belt, almost like a, a, a third son to him. And and over time, if we go deep enough into something, we start to create a different version of it. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a cupcake, could be a martial art. So in my case, Yokito sort of came out of this thing after about 12, 13 years of training where 
I started a yoga practice and I realized there was this connection between Aikido and yoga. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is, this is me. This is, this is, this is like, this is my heart. And I, and to express it, I'm going to call it Yokido. And so that's, that's where forming it really happened. It wasn't because I thought 20 years ago, I want to have my own martial art. I'm going to be like <laughs> Chuck Norris. That was not what I was thinking. It just sort of happened organically because I was so deep into it and I loved it so much and I still do. And, and so it's, it, ha- it was like, I, I was pregnant with it and it was like, it was, uh, I was pregnant without, without really trying to get pregnant. I just happened to have this martial art inside me and, and I had to get it out. And so that's, mm-hmm. that's the result where Yokito was born. Oh, sure. So do you, can people take classes in Yokito right now? Do you teach it? I, I do. I do. I, I teach it in Sedona and, and I also do, uh, when I go to places like Wanderlust, I'm going to Wanderlust. I uh, and I go there every year. And so when I whenever I go to those events, it's a big yoga event. I'll go and and people can can connect with me and I'll I'll do I'll do like little seminars or just kind of a, a it's a way for me to connect with people from all over the country and all over the world in those spaces. Eventually I'll I'll do it where I, I'll travel around and and go to people's dojos or studios, but I I do do it. It's it's like I can't help myself. It's one of those things where I don't really have a choice. I just have to do it. So yeah. that yeah. That's great. So with with the number of projects you're working on and the things that you are are doing, how do you manage your time and focus? There is I'm going to give credit where credit's due, and and there's a, a guy that many people have heard about named Gary Keller. He he started Keller Williams, and he wrote a book called The One Thing. And one of the things in the book, The One Thing, is, is a an idea around time blocking. And so I have every morning I get up and I I do my journal from the previous day to to really assess what just happened, and I also do I look at my calendar and I block out time. So there's a chunk of 30 minutes or an hour throughout my day. And I am wickedly protective of that. It's a good East Coast thing, right? Wickedly yeah. protective of my time blocks. And we have to do that because there's so much stuff going on. We have to be willing to say nothing is going to get to me. No phone, no Internet, no whatever it is. For this 30 minutes or this hour, this is all I'm focusing on. And it's there's a very, very powerful uh, process that happens where you get into something and you pop out with an actual result versus just bouncing around like a like a, like a high cat that's just chasing catnip. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what I use. I use the time blocking. It's that simple. It doesn't need to be more complicated, but you've got to be wickedly protective of it. And I think Gary has a lot of great strategies inside that book. Okay. Do you use any any apps or um, web like or, or websites that help you block out things, or is it just like I'm shutting off the internet right now, or I'm not I'll shut, shut off my phone and, and not answer it? How do you make sure that your time is protected? You're, you, you know, if you look, if you think about the phone and using an app, here, here's the problem that I have. And maybe you have it. I don't know if other people do. But I go to do something on my phone mm-hmm. and I get sidetracked with some other freaking app that pulls my attention. <laughs> I end up going into that app instead of the original app. And then two hours later, I'm like, oh, I meant to do this one thing two hours ago. And then I go to do it and something else catches my attention. So I oftentimes don't know if those apps are helpful or destructive. So I, I tend to use my paper because there's nothing else chasing my attention if I'm looking at that calendar in front of me. So I I use a lot of apps, but there's something more useful to me about the paper because it's I'm not getting derailed by whatever is flashing and trying to get my attention like like Google does all the time. It's always flashing and saying, you've got this thing coming up or do this thing or those things are I don't know that they're that helpful oftentimes in keeping us focused. Mm-hmm. I, I personally go back and forth with those. Like um, with my phone, I try to use a couple of like blocker apps, but you're right. I would then go on my phone and then get distracted. So now I just 
um, if I keep it on silent and I just turn it over and not have it next to me, I'll I'll notice that you know time will go by and I won't realize that my phone hasn't been flashing at me or anything like that because I'm not staring at it and I'm not there's not any lights set up with it so it's it's not distracting me if it's like out of my eyesight and then basically just kind of turned over. Well, you, you know what's funny about that? That was one of the the things that I was frustrated with with my my team. I had some young people that I was working with and. And I would watch how often they picked up their phone and, and their phone, if it was face up, it was always flashing and they were grabbing it. And, and there was always this distraction. And I got really frustrated. And I said, OK, you got y'all got to keep your phone flipped over or just put it away. Mm-hmm. And then I was I, I had to watch myself because I'm I'm like everybody. I, I get addicted to my phone. I want it close. And and it's it really can start. It's like the tail wagging the dog. It, we're not using it. It's using us. So I, I just thought, okay, I've, I've got to put this thing somewhere else. And here is a really good way to get yourself to change your behavior. Put yourself on camera. Put a camera up and have a live feed to the world and say, hey, I'm going to be on this thing. You can watch me. It's like having a board of directors watching you. You're running the company of you. Have a camera on you and and then put it on live stream somehow. And really the point is you're if you feel like somebody's watching you, you're less likely to just screw around because there's accountability, and that's the key, the accountability. If you want to be extreme about changing something, have real-time accountability where people could say, hey, I've seen you on your phone 72 times in the last three hours. Like, really? What are you doing? Like, you're not calling anybody. You're just dinking around. You're playing, like, Angry Birds or something. Like, what's going on? Right. Wow. That's – so I I actually have not considered that before. But I – so I've – you know, I'm, I'm familiar with, like, other people use um, more extreme type of accountability and consequences where they're like – make a, a public pledge for something and then um, have other people hold them accountable for that. But I think that's actually a brilliant idea um, and creepy to like suddenly just turn on your camera and then let, you know, live stream it to whatever um, social media account um, or even on YouTube and just like, yeah, put yourself out there in that sense where you're trying to create this project or whatever that is and, and have people call you out when you're not uh, keeping up or you know just messing around that's uh that sounds terrifying and amazing at the same time well you know what there's there's this, oppor- this opportunity for feedback and i think that's one of the things that's really terrifying it's when somebody says you know you really pick your nose a lot and you're like i didn't even know that but people are watching me and and so you know it's it depends how how focused how committed are you to doing something different do you want to have status quo the rest of your life is your future going to be a a a, re- a redo of your past in the or the you know a, a repeat of your past and I, I think when you do something that extreme, I do a lot of extreme things with accountability. And it's it's part of the reason that I'm able to, to shift and change so fast because I'm willing to be held accountable by people. And it is not comfortable. But to me, it's the way that you own your life. It's the way that you take control of your life. And so if it means be, having this voyeuristic approach to it, perhaps that's a way to get your arms around it and get control of it. Mm-hmm. So what is the most extreme thing you've done accountability wise? The most extreme thing I think was when I was measuring everything. I, I spent a year where I was measuring every minute and every penny, and it was it was uh, it was something that I shared with my accountability partners, and I mean like everything. And it was it was uncomfortable because every time I swiped my card or every time I did anything, there was a daily tracking of all those minutes and all those dimes, and and I. I was thinking, okay, do I want people to see this? Do I, is is this good? Like, how many hours am I spending doing this one thing, or why am I spending this money? That those type of optics were mm-hmm. 
it was uncomfortable. And so I started changing my behaviors. I also was embarrassed when I realized I spent like $2,500 at Starbucks in one year. And I thought, God, that is, that's like criminal. But then I decided to make more sense to just go buy the Starbucks stock and make myself feel better. And so I did. And I felt like I was supporting my own investment future. So you can justify anything is kind of the point. Yeah, exactly. So then did you also buy stock at McDonald's too for that same reason? Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. I, who, I, I started investing based on, on my behaviors. It was really sort of funny. And I laughed about it with, with, um, with Apple and, and Starbucks. And I think there was, there was another one, but there, there's also something that's consistent where you, you feel good about being connected to where your money is and, and what your, what, what matters to you. So I, it, I think it was a good experience. It helped me get my arms around how you can squander wealth where, where it doesn't matter how much money you have, you can find dumb ways to get rid of it if you're not conscious to it. And so that was for me getting very clear on that. Okay. Do you, do you track things in your life that closely now, or was that just an experiment you did for a, a, a period of time? It was, it was an experiment I did. Sometimes I'll, I'll use tools like mint and, and this is back like 15 years ago and I was doing it on a spreadsheet and, and I had all these different categories and things. Wow. What I found is, yeah, it was, it was a lot of manual work. The, and I did that on purpose because I wanted to be connected with it. It's it's why I use a pen and paper for a lot of things. And I don't, I don't just use the computer because I think the, the physical aspect of connecting with something and writing it, um, it, it's, it, it, something changes in your DNA. I mean, that's just my theory. I don't know if that's true or not, but, um, I, I don't spend as much time in that minutia anymore because it does take time. And there's the time is the one thing that we can't get back. And it's the one thing that equalizes all of us. So I'm really careful about, what I track. I do track things, but I'm not as hyper. I needed to be hyper for a year. I needed to really, really get what was going on so that I wasn't just going through motions in some type of rat race forever. Oh, sure. What would you say is the best advice you've ever received? Keeping bald and gray haired people close to you and, and listening to them. I, I'll tell you, man, when years ago I had mentors and I was listening to them and I was following their advice. Mm-hmm. And then I, I started doing really well, at least on the surface. I was making a lot of money and I thought, I am so smart. And so I just stopped listening to them. I, I kind of got rid of them. Mm-hmm. I didn't really have any of these bald. I ended up going bald, but I, I wasn't paying attention to the wisdom. I was paying attention to my ego. And and that's now there's there's this hyper vigilance around keeping people close that have decades more of experience and wisdom and, and being willing to listen to them and ask the questions. And really, the question is, what am I not seeing? And then listening to what they say, say, look, I'm giving you carte blanche freedom to say whatever it is that's on your mind. And I'm still going to love you. Please tell me what you're seeing. Having those people in, in your life is priceless. You gotta have the mentors that, that will tell you the truth because we can't see ourselves swing and we can't see ourselves screw up. And if we don't have somebody sharing that stuff with us, we're gonna go through our lives frustrated. Mm-hmm. How do you find your mentors and, and how do you recommend that people find good mentors for themselves? The way that you find the, the right mentor is to become ready to be the right mentee. And that means there's this openness in your spirit about learning and, and the, the people, like people will come to me sometimes and say, I want help. And, and people have hired me over the years or they just, or I, I've helped people, but I am really resistant to even going into that conversation until I know somebody is really committed. And so it's not about finding the person. It's about becoming the person. And what will happen is you'll have people that are excited to actually help you. It's not just people that are willing to take your money. It's, I love when people show up in my life and are ready because they're doing something and they're truly committed to their life. And at that point I'm opened up, but 
I may be a great mentor for somebody, but if they're not committed, it's never going to happen. So it's really about somebody becoming great and the teacher shows up when the student is ready. Hmm. Okay. That's a very Zen way to think about it. I like that. Yeah. Well, Damien, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. If the audience would like to get a hold of you and see more about what you're working on, what's the best way they can find you? Best place to find me is TotalControlFinancial.com, the the company site. You can you can find me and and hook up with me on, uh, you know, different social media and things. But come out there and and check out what we're doing. And especially if you're you're thinking about how to get control of your life and how to direct your life on your terms, then that's definitely the place. Uh, it's it's really about total control. And when you talk about finances being in control, you have a lot more power and choice in your life. Oh yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I will make sure that is in the show notes. Awesome, man. I appreciate the time. Thanks for having me on here. Of course. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a great day. All right, you too, Jerry. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Hour podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.